Today's podcast with Muncie um, and James Shea, we're going to be introducing a new co-host, Lafal Shalinki. <laughs> How do you pronounce the last name? Uh, Shiklutsky. No shot. There's no shot for me. Shiklutsky? Yeah. I've known him two years. I've known him two years. Still can't. Shiklutsky. My family just says Rafal S. Yeah. That's fine. Shiklutsky. I need to learn how to spell it too. Shiklutsky. I tried it the first time. I tried to say it, and then I just changed it to Shlinky. And went, like, <laughs> so, like a Slinky. With an SH. With a Polish well, this, That's our intro right there, man. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sheepdogs podcast. Today, we are welcoming Monsignor Shea, who is the president of the University of Mary in Bismarck, North Dakota. Welcome, Monsignor Shea, and thank you for um, talking with us today. Hey, great to be with you guys. Thanks for having me on. Great. Yeah, thank you. So, Father, would you like to uh, start us in a quick prayer before sure. we get started? Sure, let's begin with the prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for Monsignor Shea and the good works that uh, good work that he's doing there in North Dakota. We uh, ask your blessing, Lord, upon all of us. We ask the Holy Spirit to be present to us, uh, that we could, uh, as we listen to these words uh, from Monsignor, we pray for all those who will be tuning into this podcast too. We commend all this to you, Lord Jesus, through Mother Mary. Amen. Amen. In the name Amen. of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome, Monsignor. Yeah, so good to uh, have you on. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, I was mentioning earlier to you before we began began the podcast here. Rafal and I uh, were there at Seek, and we got to hear one of your talks on uh, masculinity, which uh, just was very uh, impactful. And I know you spoke uh, some about yeah the lies that the accuser will say to us as men at times, and yeah, just kind of wanted to get your insights. Uh, just your wisdom, if you could just speak some on masculinity and how, um, yeah, how we as, uh, especially these guys here as college students and for other college men, um, how we could grow in understanding that identity. Yeah, well, I, I want to say, first of all, that I was so happy to say yes uh, to your request to be on the podcast, because I've always wanted to talk to people from Miami University in Ohio. Because <laughs> I've met alumni from there and they're always quick to say it's the one in Ohio. And it's such a funny name, isn't it? Like, it's like Palm Beach University in North Dakota. Right, right, right. Yeah, I guess our argument is uh, normally we like to say that Miami was a university before Florida was a state because we've been here so long. So that's our comeback. <laughs> no, I love that. That's that's wonderful. Well, yeah, so I was down at SEEK. You know, I gave four talks at SEEK. Um, yeah. I'm on the board of directors uh, for Focus. And I don't charge a uh, speaker's fee, and so they they just uh, they just had me uh, give all kinds of talks. But there was that one uh, that I was asked to give for the men's session. It was the first of a three-part series, right? Um, who who was after me? Maybe Matt Frad had the second session, and then was the final Father Agostino Torres. That's right. That's right. The yeah. And so 
it, it, I was a I was kind of an embarrassing warm up act for those guys. <laughs> um, but uh, but it was just really on my heart that day. You know, of course, here at the University of Mary, uh, we've got all kinds of young men, uh, and I hear confessions as you do, Father Jacob, and. Um, it's just uh, it's a, a great honor to be with them in the um, in the uh, trenches of their lives, you know, uh, assisting them and and growing myself as a man uh, in my own vocation as a priest. And and there there are lies that the accuser uh, does tell us as men. And I think that, that it's important for us to be on guard about that. The inspiration really, of course, we, when we were all together in St. Louis, it was the days just following uh, Pope Benedict XVI's uh, passing. And so he had just died. And I'd gone back and, and read something he, he wrote about a year ago in February of 2022, which was just astonishingly moving to me. He was responding and writing to some allegations that he had mismanaged um, abuse accusations when he was uh, Archbishop of um, Munich and Freising in Germany in the late 70s and early 80s. And he denied the substance of, um, of those accusations. And then he said, uh, this was very moving, it still rings in my mind, I have, I have borne great responsibility in the Catholic Church. And it, it gives me pain to think that anybody under my watch in any way would have been harmed. I have borne great responsibility. And then he said, but I will very soon stand before the final judge of my life. Um, and I have much cause for fear and trembling. But I also have, I'm also cheerful about it because I know that the one who is my just judge is also my friend and brother. And because he's already suffered from my shortcomings, he is my advocate. And this question of Jesus as advocate, we often think of the Holy Spirit as advocate, but to think also of Jesus as our friend, brother, just judge, and advocate was very beautiful. And um, then he, he made reference to that uh, scene from the first page of the book of Revelation when John sees the Son of Man and falls down on his face. And uh, the Lord puts his hand on his shoulder and says, it is I, do not be afraid. And I think as men, we all need to experience that hand of the Lord on our shoulder, reassuring us not to be afraid. Um, it is I. And that's, of course, uh, swept up into that scene 12 chapters later in the book of Revelation with that epic line, now is the accuser of our brothers cast out. Now he's thrown down who day and night accuse them before God. So I think that the accuser tells men uh, that they're not enough, uh, that they can, um, that the decisions that they make today don't really matter, and that they're all alone. And he tries constantly to get us to, um, to believe that, and it's not true. Uh, and it, it rips apart our capacity to respond to God's grace, uh, to live as sons, beloved sons of the Father. And um, it causes all kinds of havoc. And you know that, um, that it's not just the men who are targets, uh, all the people around us too suffer when we're not able to live fully and freely uh, who we are in a full expression of our masculinity. So shame uh, corresponds to the lie, uh, I am not enough. And presumption corresponds to the lie um, that I can 
what I do today doesn't matter. And, um, and uh, self-reliance corresponds to the lie, I am all alone. So those were some of the things that I tried to, to share with the men uh, down in St. Louis. Wow, yeah, that's great. I think um, one thing that a lot of young men like me and Raf here often think of is that God's giving us something to do and that if we don't um, live up to like that goal that we have, I guess, love us because of that. So I'm thinking of like, oh, we, I need to be the perfect student. I need to be the perfect son. I need to be the perfect boyfriend. If you have a, if, if you have a girlfriend, but if, if we don't meet up to those goals that somehow um, we often feel like, you know, God, we we're letting God down in that scenario. And yeah. um, that's often like hard to, hard to go through as a, as a young man. So do you have any advice or words to speak on that? Oh, I sure do, Michael. So this is something I've had to learn in my life, but I say it to our students here at the University of Mary all the time. And I, I mentioned it as well uh, when I was speaking to the men in St. Louis that, that it's important for us as we look at the story of creation to see um, and to notice that uh, when, when God created the human race, when he created man and woman, he blessed them and then said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And the blessing comes first. He blesses them. He says that his creation is good, 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 very good. Um, and then he blesses them and bids them to be fruitful. And so it is the case that God, as St. John Henry Newman reminds us so poignantly, has entrusted some work to us, which he hasn't given to anybody else. And that a lot depends upon how we respond um, that we are cooperators with God in the story of salvation, and uh, that our own redemption and the salvation of many others depends upon the generosity of our response. That's true, and that can feel like a lot of pressure. But it's important to understand that, that what comes first is the blessing. Uh, and, and what happens is if we reverse them, uh, then we begin to think, and this was something of what you were saying earlier, we begin to think that um, that if I could just do a good job, if I could just live up to the ideals that have been uh, set upon me, if I could just uh, be impressive, uh, then I would get the blessing. And that's chasing the blessing. It reverses it. Then it's exhausting because we're trying to do something that's never been done, which is to earn that which can only be a free gift. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that, that contaminates uh, or sabotages just about every uh, component of a man's inner life if we let it, you know, from the time that we're very little, you know, if, if only I could get good grades or if I could be good at sports, my teachers would notice me, my dad would like me. Um, it goes into our professional lives. You know, if I could get this account, then um, maybe I could get a raise and a promotion. And then, of course, it cascades into the ultimate uh, problem, which is if, if, I, uh, if I could um, stop sinning, then God would love me. Well, this is crazy. You know, it's, it's, it's precisely the opposite. You know, the people out at the Institute for Priestly Formation in Omaha talk about RIM, relationship, identity, mission, and they, they speak about how important it is to keep those in the right order, that our mission is, is important. And 
as men, this is this is what we're made for, right? We're we're put together to to, to roll up our sleeves and to and to go for it. You know, Pier Giorgio Versati, verso l'alto, to the top. You know, to the heights. Uh, and so this is this is deep in us. Uh, but our mission doesn't come first. What comes first is our relationship with God, uh, the fact and and the truth, the truth uh, that we're beloved sons of a father who cares for us uh, and that there's really nothing we can do to impress him. <laughs> and he's not looking to be impressed. Uh, um, and that that's just, it's just really important. So th that's what I would say, uh, that we have to cease and desist from chasing the blessing and instead let the blessing catch us. It's, you know, Francis Thompson's poem, The Hound of Heaven, he sought me, you know, the hound chasing the person who's running uh, from him. And then uh, when the hound of heaven catches him, it's not so bad <laughs> because everything that uh, he had been seeking all the time was hidden in the Lord's arms. Wow. I feel like I'm giving answers that are too long. This is a bad, isn't this bad oh, this for me? It's perfect. It's great. It's great. Yeah, we oh, love it. Yeah, thank you. You should interrupt me at any time. <laughs> I guess following that, Monsignor, yeah, what, do you have any advice for, yeah, so kind of following that, you know, we as men sometimes I think are afraid to even get started because we're too worried that we'll fail or we won't do something perfectly. Uh, what kind of insights can you give us into that? Or <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, failure is, so let's look at the life of Jesus, right? Um, so we, we have, uh, if we've let the gospel sink into us, uh, we can sometimes fall prey to the temptation to let it become unsurprising. But the life of Christ is very surprising in that uh, as Son of God, he comes, empties himself of all of his glory, embarks upon a public ministry after a long, long period of formation. You know, I tell our students here, um, we have this year-round campus program where you can get your bachelor's degree in 2.6 years and your master's degree in four years. It's a great program. Um, and I say that it's, it's trying to cut down on the time to completion because lots of people are spending, you know, five, six, seven year, years in college getting their bachelor's degree. Well, Jesus was in college from the age of 12 until the age of 30, you know, getting ready for real life, getting ready for his real job. And so he takes all this time of preparation and then he embarks on a public ministry, which by all worldly standards was a massive failure. And uh, I, I think that, that in the gospel is the truth of the triumph of failure. And so uh, the, the Italians have this wonderful phrase, how do they say it? Spagliando simpara, by, by, by making mistakes we learn. Um, and, uh, and to be afraid of failure, um, is not adequate to the dignity and adventure of our lives. Uh, Father Jacques Philippe talked about, you remember he, he's, he, he says that modern man is condemned to success because without God, he has no place to take his failure. <laughs> this is extraordinarily beautiful, that we're, we're condemned to success because without God, we have no place to take our failure. 
And so uh, in, in, in the death and resurrection of Jesus, every triumph uh, has already been won. And we plunge ourselves or allow ourselves to be plunged into that mystery of the triumph of Christ. And then what that means is that, that uh, everything truly complicated and arduous has already been done. And we have to stay in communion. And sometimes that'll be glorious. And sometimes it'll be very difficult. But if we're staying in communion, it, you know, God has set it up. It's really wonderful. He, he, <laughs> he set it up so that if we don't give up, we win. <laughs> in other words, uh, it, this, is, this is the joy of, of perseverance in the Christian life, which sometimes doesn't feel joyful at all. But if we don't give up, we win all the time. Uh, and so the fear of failure, I think, is another trick of the enemy to try and get us to do nothing at all. This is true, by the way, even if we don't place it in a, in, a, in a Christian context. It's true in a strictly secular context. You know, this is the, this is the, the speech of um, Theodore Roosevelt about the man in the arena, you know, that, um, that glory never belongs to those cold souls who never dare great things, you know. Um, and so, yeah, I think that the fear of failure is just a trick. And we should ignore it. We should, uh, and and then we have to make our lives and 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 our institutions arenas for failure. Failure is meant to be a part of what we do. Mm. And uh, wow, that that was um, great. And <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard to put words to it now. But um, so school systems today, um, especially like college campuses, like here in Miami. They often like we we can see it, it kind of happening every day. You see it through the news. You see it through policies that are getting be, that are getting passed, um, both political and then also just initiatives that happen here on campus. That masculine attributes, like the the classical masculine masculine attributes, are kind of being set aside and they're kind of being suppressed. And men are kind of, um, I guess, allowing this to happen willingly. But I, I'd be interested to know what you do um, and what you support on at, at the University of Mary to kind of support Catholic masculinity and maybe also give some advice about um, what individuals here on campus like Miami. So like, what can I do for, for Raph here to support him as a man um, and to support him living out a truly Catholic masculine life? Yeah. Okay. So, so this is a complicated question um, with lots of aspects to it. But it is the case that in contemporary culture, uh, masculinity is under assault. Um, you know, this phrase toxic masculinity has sort of uh, been floating around. And the implication there is that, as you said, those, those things which the, the formulation is, those things which have been traditionally associated with manhood, are uh, are actually harmful. Now, it's interesting, when one says traditionally associated with, what do we mean? Does that possibly mean that in the long ages of human experience until 10 minutes ago, uh, the cultures of the world have perceived <laughs> that, that their particular capacities uh, that men have 
uh, and attributes that men are able to bring to bear upon the communities in which they live, uh, which are strengths for them that in fact, yes, can be misused as can every uh, human good, uh, but which if, if, um, if harnessed uh, and uh, disciplined for the good actually can be spectacularly uh, helpful and that society uh, and culture grows sick when that's suppressed. Wow, yeah, I, I agree with that last thing. <laughs> I think that um, I think that the, the wisdom of the ages tells us that there are certain things uh, which men uniquely can bring to bear upon in terms of leadership, in terms of uh, strength, in terms of restraint, uh, in terms of uh, aspiration, in terms of dreams and, and the fulfillment of those dreams, in terms of uh, safeguarding and, and protecting that which is true and beautiful and good. That there are certain aspects uh, that, that men might not have a monopoly on, but which they certainly uh, are, are uh, wired for and, and stitched together by God uh, to, to contribute uh, in, in the midst of the culture. And so I think that what, what we see is um, that, that the effort to condemn or suppress those aspects of masculinity, uh, which really are meant to be redeemed uh, and uh, brought into fullness, uh, has the opposite effect of those who are campaigning for that, uh, that it pushes those aspects of masculinity deep into uh, uh, some tortured or dark place of the interior of a man's heart or soul. And then all kinds of things get suppressed and it, it flashes or flares out in horrific ways. You know, the, the, um, the, the massive crisis of the, the massive crisis of anxiety and depression that we're seeing, the, the, uh, the gripping incapacity to cope uh, that many young people experience uh, is not in its origins some grave mystery. It's a suppression of uh, good anthropology. Uh, it's, a, it's an amnesia about how human beings are how they relate to each other, the differences between the sexes, which are not uh, terrible, but fascinating, mysterious, and beautiful. Um, and so I think that, that, um, that we shouldn't listen to the lies uh, which tell us that those uh, things which are in our hearts as men uh, need to be somehow defenestrated or um, emasculated. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, it's always good to just have that encouragement too. To, as you mentioned, the, to defend the true, the beautiful, the good. You know, I think it definitely helps us to, um, yeah, to just be reminded of that uh, in our manhood. Right. To, the more we defend the the purity, the holiness, the 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 of femininity, you know, in women, uh, it always helps us as men to just remember our identity. I think uh, as we hold them up. But yeah. Well, I think that's really important. You know, in the confessional, Father Jacob, oftentimes uh, this is one of the things uh, that that I experience as being really important to remember or to remind the men who come bearing various sins within their relationships 
that it, if if they're caring for another person, um, that that especially as a man, they have a responsibility to safeguard her uh, and um, to love and not use her. These kinds of things. It's important, and that's not uh, to condemn uh, the man. It's to call him into his into his, the fullness of his of the truth of his being mm -hmm. and the grandeur of his vocation. It's important for us. And then, Michael, you had said, how can Rafe and you, I mean, the, we need to encourage each other in this. In other words, uh, the, it is not good for the man to be alone, right? Somebody said that once, and I agree with whoever that was. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> I think I've heard that before somewhere. <laughs> Maybe Edmund Senior Shea's talk. It's yeah, maybe that's from your talk. That's weird. <laughs> no, that's God. <laughs> Let's not confuse me and oh, God. That's right. that's right. <laughs> Monsignor Shea, but it's I think it's very interesting that you mention like confession or like you your experience in confession with a lot of these men because I feel like focus, um, and I know you mentioned you're on the board of directors and you mentioned the RIM uh relationship identity mission. Um I feel like it is it's not as talked about in today's culture, right? This idea of surrender. Um, and when, when I think of surrender, you know, I think of like what the contemporary world does offer. So, you know, what that physically means, like a country is surrendering or, or like they're giving up, you know, but I think that surrender in, in just like the, in the diction of the word, right. Um, and what it means in like the Catholic setting, uh, has like a completely different idea than like what a lot of modern men and I know I fall into that too sometimes where um like I do struggle with something where I don't see myself or I don't get my um identity from my relationship with Christ right I think a lot of that comes from this deformed idea of what sur like true surrender to Christ is and I I was just wondering if you have any thoughts on yeah if anybody struggles with understanding like this concept of surrendering um your whole life to the imitation of christ like if you have any any thoughts or any insight as to like how someone can live that out sure well there are lots of different directions that one could go and and i think that you know when you think about great spiritual texts like abandonment to divine providence um or any of the teachings of the saints you can get uh quite a um a deep perspective on all of that my response um rafal would be um would be maybe a little more simple and that's this uh, and it it ties with the with the concluding point that i made in st louis in respect to us not being all alone i think that a lot of the pressure that we have uh, and that we experience is uh, this sense that, as Michael was saying earlier, that there's some something that we need to do, and um, we're kind of sitting over in the corner trying to get it together so that after it's completed, we can stand up, turn around, and show it to God, mm -hmm. and um, and hope that He's pleased with us. And uh, I think that that we're not being fair to ourselves with that distorted vision. 
why I say that is that um, we do have a responsibility for our lives. And so we might feel that or, or sense that to surrender is to, do you remember um, Benedict XVI's um, homily for the funeral of Pope St. John Paul II? When he, at the end, he spoke to the youth of the world and he said, you know, our late Holy Father, he was talking about John Paul II, was always telling young people not to be afraid. And he, he, he said that because all of us in some sense are afraid that if we really surrender to God, if we really let him into our lives, if we really give him free reign within us, that he'll take something away from us, that he'll, that he'll, um, that, that our lives will become smaller or, uh, less free. And, uh, and Benedict said, but if we, if we give ourselves over to God, we lose, he, you remember he said this is really remarkable. He said, we lose nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing of what makes life free and beautiful and great. So anyway, to, re, returning to this question of, um, of our lives, um, it's important for us to understand that it's not fair for us to, um, to keep such a tight grasp to white knuckle our lives because um, that is a distorted sense that our lives really are our own. I say to our students here all the time, your life is not about you. It's your life, yes it is, but it's not about you. And you have to find a way to give your life away in love. And if you don't, you'll never find purpose, meaning, happiness, joy, satisfaction in life. And so uh, it's important for us to recognize that, that we are responsible for our lives, but not all alone. We're co-responsible for our lives because God also is responsible. And he had a lot to do. He had a lot to say about us existing at all. And then about the circumstances of our lives, the family into which we were born, the, the uh, experiences that we had when we were little, and um, the opportunities that we've had for education or friendship. He, God had a lot to do with that. So he's responsible too. And he takes his responsibility very seriously. And so when we understand surrender in that sense, not as like, okay, I'm going to take everything that's precious about my life, which is my autonomy, an individuality and put it into the hands of somebody that I might or might not be able to trust. Well, that's a distorted view because God already is, is co-responsible for our lives and we're responsible too, but he wants to do this life thing with us. <laughs> and so uh, surrender isn't like, okay, uh, now I will make the act of surrender. Surrender is just recognizing what already is, is, the, is, the, is the case that God and us are in this together, and we don't want to live for God, but from Him. Uh, and then if we do that, then we won't get tired. Oh, that's great. I really appreciate that, too. It, it really helps to put us at ease and remind us of the true reality, because I think so many times, at least for me when I was younger, you know, the times when I was wrestling with my vocation or whatever, we all have kind of maybe the time of like St. Augustine, you know, whatever it is, whether it's with a sin or something that yeah. we don't want to do or something we're called to. But uh, just to remember that, yeah, the Lord is certainly co-responsible and he's holding us in existence out of love and yeah, yeah he's there yeah. to walk with us. And yeah, that's such a good reminder. Yeah. Thank you, Monsignor.
That's great. Yeah, he's into it. He really, he, he likes being part of our lives. He loves us, but he also likes us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's good. Loving us is his job. But he also <laughs> likes us. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, to to pivot topics just a little bit. Um, I was wondering if we could speak to kind of your um leadership and your time at the University of Mary. And you know, you've been able to create such a, a great Catholic culture there. And our Newman Center has been around for, you know, two years now. And it's like a constant effort at a, you know, a secular university in order to create um an environment um where, you know, Catholics can really th- thrive and that we can uh, spread the gospel to, um, you know, students all around um, Oxford, Ohio here. So uh, do you have any, you know, insights or tips about, you know, being able to create a Catholic culture? um, And what are what are kind of like the core values? What are the kind of core, um, like things that you need to do in order to, um, like, have that in place? Yeah. Well, you know, of course, it's different in different places. The University of Mary's circumstances historically and culturally uh, and institutionally are, are different, I think, than they are for you at, in Oxford, Ohio, at a large public university um, that's been around for a long time. And, um, and so there aren't, I don't think, silver bullets to this kind of thing. Uh, what I would say is that you can't will a thing into being you have to love it into being and so that means the the living of the gospel um and it means creating opportunities and uh arenas or contexts in which uh true christian living can take place and then the strategic plan really becomes the gospel itself you said that michael the living of the gospel Because um, when that really happens, the Acts of the Apostles come alive. You know, what's remarkable about uh, the the, uh, earliest Christians, uh, when you read about the first evangelization, it's really striking how the whole world was against them, and they had nothing, nothing at all. And yet, uh, they're, they're... their lives were irresistible and effervescent and incandescent. Why? Because they were really living what they believed. Now look all around you. Uh, uh, universities are places of, of crushing pride and massive hypocrisy. Intellectual pride uh, is the great plague of university life. Um, and this happens to young people even if their parents have poured all kinds of care into their their upbringing, they'll go to university and take a couple of classes and get infected with this virus of pride of mind, uh, where you're smarter than everybody else and where a couple of sort of thin, um, inconsistent theories about human life sort of decimate those things which you would otherwise know by common sense or because it was clear to you when you were seven and somebody told you, oh, yeah, that is true, you know. And so uh, that happens at universities. Um, And uh, to battle against that, I think that those of us who really love the Lord 
and who are trying to be disciples have to provide oasis, an oasis of humility, uh, a place where people can come to rest from the ravages of deception uh, which are out there in the world, because it's so exhausting to be so prideful, because then you're angry all the time. You know, anger is the sign of, uh, of a prideful mind, that it's just, a, it's just a symptom that your mind is proud if you're angry. And so, um, I mean, this is different from righteous anger, but in general, I think that's true. And so in the midst of, of sort of the escalating anger and strife and discontent and uh, meaninglessness, uh, a place like uh, the, the Newman Center there at Miami University can really be an oasis of, of rest, rest from all the tapes that are playing inside of our hearts and minds, rest from um, the silver overreaching arrogance, uh, which uh, can really get inside of us and distort our sense of ourselves. And so, again, um, I think if, if, uh, if we as Catholics are cultivating places where people can come to experience humble, unpretentious, um, thoughtful, intentional human relation, um, that is a tremendously good start toward the sanctification of the world and the building of saints. So those are just some thoughts. But I don't have any techniques or, or, or strategies for you in that I don't know your particular circumstances. I don't, for, I don't know if you should rent a blimp at the, at the home. <laughs> I, mean, I, don't, I don't know what your budget is. Right, right. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. Yeah, thanks for the encouragement. Yeah, it does go back to uh, just the simple things a lot of the time too. And yeah, I know when we started out, we just said, we just need the sacraments to start with that, make the sacraments as available as possible and build the community and culture. And yeah, yeah thanks for your encouragement. Yeah, just creating that culture of, yeah, rest as you said yeah love true relationships yeah the things people are searching for yeah thanks well i know that uh you know we've been going for about 40 minutes here so we don't want to take too much of your time but um i just wanted to thank you very much for taking the time out of your busy schedule in order to talk with us today and, uh, and share your insights with our listeners so um yeah again thank you very much um but before we end um, do you mind if you lead us in a prayer to close? No, of course. Let me simply say that I, I do ask for God's great blessing upon all that you're doing there. Father, thanks for your witness, for your vocation and your priesthood. I'm sure it's a great blessing, not just to Rafal and Michael, but to all those uh, you, you care for every day uh, without sparing yourself. And so that's really beautiful. And then, uh, of course, Michael and Rafal, you know that you and the other students there are a great encouragement to father because um, as shepherds, uh, it's tough if you don't have any sheep. <laughs> you know what I mean, you have to just go have a hamburger and that's, uh, that's no good. And so, um, and so yeah, I, I do genuinely ask for God's blessing, but let's do it formally in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Oh Jesus, in your great goodness, uh, descend upon the work of these my brothers and fill them with uh, everything that they need every capacity and, um, and insight and truth that is necessary for them to live great, heroic, saintly lives and to uh, witness to the gospel and to the truth of your saving promises 
to all those who they meet. I also pray for any who might listen to this conversation, that anything that we've said that is false or insufficient uh, would be set aside, and anything that we've said in the course of our conversation, which is of value, uh, will be filled or touched, transformed by your grace. Mary, our mother, we, uh, we ask for your prayers and your tenderness in our lives, and we ask you to uh, continue to pray for us in our every need. And we hold all of this up in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Monsignor. Yeah, I just want to thank you, too, for your uh, spiritual fatherhood to myself, of course, our students, but also so many, uh, you know, from Seek and just beyond. Uh, just a great witness for us about what a true man is and just your taking the time for us today, for our students, uh, myself and the students here at Miami, really appreciate it and certainly know of our prayers. So thanks a lot. What a joy. God bless you. All right. God bless you. Thank you, Monsignor. Thank you, Monsignor.